Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. This summer, we are spending our time in the Old Testament scriptures. All of these sacred ancient scrolls form a book of, uh, uh, of well, holy scripture that would have been the scriptures that Jesus himself was instructed in and grew up knowing and learning. And we think it's really important as the church to still dive into Old Testament uh, scriptures and understand how to engage with them because they're really different than New Testament scriptures and how they work. So what we're doing now is turning to the second part of our ancient scrolls series, which we are calling Timeless Wisdom, and we're rooted in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is one of the books in our Old Testament that's called wisdom literature. Some also include poetic literature along with that, or call it that. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, if you get into the poetic books, also Songs of Solomon and the Psalms. And if you've read any of these, you know that they sound really different than some of the historical narratives that we've been studying earlier. So these wisdom literature books are designed to help us to get wise guidance to find a path for right living, or in our case, godly living. And we do read them differently than those historical narratives. Some read like poems or psalms uh, or songs. Okay, those come really close. Have you guys seen the John Mulaney bit? on that? Okay, some of you have. Anyway, I didn't mean to do that either. Um, Okay, Uh, some read like songs, which would be easier for us to see in the original language. There's a poetry about them that is lost in the translation, but not altogether lost. It's still beautiful. You just have to release some of the things that we can't always see. But so some are like songs, um, and some in the book of Proverbs are these punchy little one-liner sayings that they're giving us, little nuggets of goodness. But it's important when we read the book of Proverbs that we still keep it within the bigger book of Old Testament scripture. Don't just pull it out as a random little life instruction guide that somebody plunked into the center of the Old Testament. When we look through Proverbs, it's formative to even help us to observe and learn about both wisdom and folly, which is foolishness. Those things are sort of set up uh, um, as the opposites, right? Wisdom and folly. How we even spot that and observe that in other texts like Judges and the other historical narratives that we've been reading. So these are meant to be formative to how we look at all of scripture. But where does this book of Proverbs fall in the bigger story arc of the Old Testament? Well, once again, but it's a different path. I'm going to take us to the beginning. Genesis 1 and 2. We were created, male and female, in the image of God, together to reflect the very image of God. We were called to multiply, to subdue the earth and rule it on behalf of God, reflecting God's very rule, and to rule it well with God's heart for shalom, with God's understanding of right from wrong, from flourishing to evil, right? We are meant to rule uh, as reflections of God's own character. So we see all the way back in Genesis 1 and 2 that wisdom is seen from the beginning, the knowledge of what's right and wrong. We'll return to that in a little bit. Okay, so there we are in Genesis. Fast forward, God forms through the patriarch, starting with Abraham, a nation to reflect his character in the
the world, the nation of Israel, made a covenant. I will be your God, you will be my people, and through you all the world will be blessed. And then he gave a special task after liberating the Israelites, his nation. They had gotten themselves into a pickle in Egypt, and he got them out through the rescue of using special leaders, Moses and Joshua, and took them from slavery all the way into this promised land flowing with milk and honey. And that's where we spent the last few weeks learning about these judges. Because after Joshua, we read that Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And we spent the last few weeks in some chaos, right? As that cycle of being in a pickle and getting rescued through a judge anointed by God for that moment came, a season of peace, and then everyone did right in their own eyes again. And so we saw that cycle through that season of the history of the Israelites. So now we're going past that season, and there's a prophet. His name is Samuel. He's been anointed by God as a prophet. And the people come to Samuel, and they say, we want a king like the other nations. Remember, they're still in this land of Canaan, and so there's all these like tribal nations all around them. And they have kings, and they're all fighting with each other, and Israel's like, well... I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing, I'm adding a bit, but if I were the Israelites at this point, I'd be like, well, the judges thing didn't work. How about we try a king like all these other nations around us? And Samuel's displeased to hear this request. So he goes and has a chat with God as a prophet anointed by the Holy Spirit is able to do. And he talks to God about this. And the Lord responds to Samuel and says, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not that they have rejected you, but they have rejected me as their king. And God goes on to warn him, tell them it's not going to go so well for them, this king business. And so Samuel goes and he warns people and they still say the same thing. We want a king like everyone else. And God allows this request to come to pass. So the super quick version, Samuel anoints Saul Saul ends up being a bit of a tricky one. We'll talk about him next series. Then David comes, uh, the son of Jesse, and he is a great king who is where we're going to root our next series. And then David has a son named Solomon. He is the author, or rather the collector, of most of these proverbs, these wisdom little truth bombs. Most are attributed to Solomon. There's some other people attributed as well, but most of these we're going to put on Solomon. So I wanted to give you where Solomon falls in the history of this nation that we've been talking about. This is David's son, and he serves as king. And we hear about the story of his coming into kingship in 1 Kings 3, in the section that's 1 through 15. I'm going to just take a little bit of this. And so this is the moment. It's Solomon's turn. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for, what, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon goes on and he's like, wow, you were like really with my dad, David. This feels like a really big deal. Paraphrase, picking up in verse nine. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. God's wisdom is seen in Genesis, right? For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. 
Moreover, I'll give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you'll have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commandments as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Hold on to those. I'm also going to give you wealth, honor, and a long life. Put them in your pocket. They're going to come back up again in a minute. So indeed, this is true. And we see it through the rest of the story of Solomon that he is known for incredible wisdom. Other leaders, world leaders come to talk to him, to just hear his wisdom. At least in the first part of his reign, this is definitely on display. So in the book of Proverbs, what we find is his collected wisdom, his top picks to pass down for future generations. And we know that he was a man who exercised this wisdom during the first part of his reign. So we see the purpose statement right up front in this collection of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. This is what uh, Tyler just read for us. Listen to these, listen to like the, the theme of this, right? For gaining wisdom and instruction for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, meaning like um, not already wise, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning, let the discerning get guidance. So basically right up front, purpose statement, Solomon gathered these because you want to grow in your wisdom and understanding. So use this that way. What's a proverb in general? And how are these different as the inspired word of God, different than other proverbs like Tyler was just talking about? Because these are in our holy scripture. According to the Google, a proverb is a short, pithy saying in general use, stating a general truth or piece of advice. Proverbs in and of themselves are not unique to the Bible. They're across cultures, across time. This is a known little pithy staying of of advice or general truth. It's important to know when you're reading the book of Proverbs that Proverbs are generalizations. It means they're usually true. They are not a promise. If you act this way, guaranteed you'll get that result. It's not that. It's a generalization. It is not a formula to produce a guaranteed result. In English, these are not in our Holy Scripture. Let me just give you an example. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. Are you sure? No, it's not a promise. It's like, you know, eat well. You'll stay healthy. Crime doesn't pay. Sometimes it does. Means you read the news? I see it working out sometimes. Or do the crime, do the time. Like, Not always. Some people get away with it. So you get the difference. Don't read this as a book of formulas to get an intended result. So some things, if you decide to read the book of Proverbs during this series, which is great fun, just so you know, they often use hyperbole. You have to be ready for that. That's like that gross overgeneralization. So it's not saying a literal truth. Like when I say I have a thousand things to do today, you don't call me a liar. You just know I'm using hyperbole. They also use generalizations, which are sometimes very, uh, they rub us the wrong way in our modern sensibilities. All wives are not like that. All children are not like that. So there's generalizations that don't, it's okay if it rubs you the wrong way. Let a proverb be a proverb and don't, don't allow the offense taken to, to get you too off track. We can still engage with these. Some are direct 
contradictions. I'll give you this example from Proverbs 26, 4 to 5. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Wait, which am I supposed to do? So this is okay that they contradict each other, because part of the development of wisdom is to know which to apply in a given situation. They teach wisdom by also getting you ready to exercise wisdom to apply them rightly. And even Proverbs knows that the wrong application of a proverb will reduce or will produce folly. Like a thorn bush, thorn bush in a drunken's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. You know, we can still have foolish people toss around proverbs wrong all the time. And it's not helpful. That's what that's saying. So the instruction of proverbs was designed to be taught by a wise teacher. Context matters. These weren't to be handed to you as like, hey, new follower of God, here's your instruction book. These were meant to be under the wise teaching of a teacher and then um, taught generation to generation. Raise up the next generation in the way of God. So a godly proverb is one where the student will be developed into godly values by engaging in this example with these proverbs. Which brings us to the question, how are they different then? These in scripture versus like an apple a day keeps the doctor away. There's two things I would point out from this cultural context. Number one, let's go back and remember Solomon's story. The people of God who were reading and engaging with these proverbs, this ancient scroll, they knew the story from first Kings that Solomon was uniquely granted divine wisdom. So these proverbs would have been understood to have divine origins as this holy, um, uh, holy inspired scripture because they knew the story from 1 Samuel and how that whole Solomon thing had gone down and his wisdom. So listen to this from Proverbs 3. I grabbed 13 and 16. And keep an eye, remember we put the little list in our pocket. Listen to this. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. So we're seeing even Proverbs is hinting back. Remember the story in 1 Samuel when Solomon asked for wisdom and gained all this? You too will ask and pursue wisdom through this book and gain all that. So this is showing the, the rest will follow when you seek wisdom. So this is linked to the story of Solomon that we know from Holy Scripture. But number two, and the main difference I would say about our Holy Scripture Proverbs versus other cultures of that time, we have writings of Egyptian Proverbs and things like that. What's one of the differences? The biggest difference that I think we see that we can all agree on is that throughout this, there is a constant reminder of our motivation for seeking these pieces of wisdom. And that motivation, ultimate motivation for behaving in a wise manner was fear of Yahweh, the one true God, fear of the Lord. We heard it when Tyler read this passage today. It's repeated so many times, fear of the Lord, in Proverbs and throughout other 
other places in scripture. Let me give you just this example, and then I'll explain what this means. In the first nine chapters, if you pick up Proverbs and you are like, I'm not getting to the pithy sayings, Melissa. Well, the first nine chapters are actually a conversation where a father is instructing a son or telling him to listen to me and listen to your mother. Like that's where we're saying this is to be taught, to be passed down. And the father in chapter two says to the pupil uh, words like this. If you call out for insight, cry aloud for understanding, look for it, search for it. Chapter five or verse five, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So let's talk about this concept of the fear of the Lord really quickly. Again, now, Proverbs 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You're on this path. We got to start here. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Let's start with what it is not. The fear of the Lord is not being scared of the Lord. If you know me at all, you know I really am not known at all from a musical taste or knowledge base at all. Aaron knows this and is laughing right now. I have a bad reputation, but I do have this one Spotify list that I won't share with anyone because it's embarrassing, and it's the songs I like to sing to when I'm alone in the car. And one of the songs that's on there is by Death Cab for Cutie, and it's the song, I Will Follow You Into the Dark. Do you guys know this song? I enjoy singing it. It's fun to sing, but in it is a story I don't love. He tells the story of being being raised up in a Christian school where the nun would knock his knuckles all the time when he did something wrong. And he sings, she told me, son, fear is the heart of love. And I never looked back. Okay, beating somebody and telling them that fear is the heart of love is not what fear of the Lord is. That's a wrong understanding of fear of the Lord, that a scary God will rain down terror if you mess up. So what is fear of the Lord? Fear of the Lord is a holy reverence, a humble awareness of who we are and who God is. Hebrews 12, 29 says our God is a consuming fire. We see in Old Testament literature that God will sometimes show up as fire to the people of Israel. What this is showing is a perfect, holy knowledge and judgment of good and evil. The only source of perfect, holy knowledge and judgment of good and evil. So fear of the Lord is our realizing that our understanding of all of that, what's good, what's evil, is not holy and perfect. It's just the recognition that our understanding is not. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. We even see this if we go a little bit forward into another section of Old Testament scriptures, which are uh, the prophets. We see in Isaiah that the prophet, inspired by the Holy Spirit, starts to speak of a Messiah who will come from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was King David's dad. So down the King David line, there will come a Messiah who we now profess and know as Jesus. But we don't have the name yet in the prophetic books. Okay, listen to this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. 
the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, referring to Jesus. It's not scary. It's a delight to have the knowledge and fear of the Lord. It's a delight to have a reverent awareness of who God is. A healthy respect for God's definition, his perfect holy definition of what is good and what is evil. Lean not on your own understanding. So this perfect holy wisdom is understood to be an attribute of God's self. And we have access to this. Trusting God and honoring God's wisdom and authority from a fear of the Lord, that gives us a place of reverence and awe. And so then we want to do what God instructs from that place of reverence, of humility. Okay, so that's the concept of the fear of the Lord. Here's one of the fun poetic parts in the book of Proverbs. Do you guys know, you don't have to answer. Okay, so personification is this thing you can do if I'm like, my glasses must be so sad. I left them home and I've lost them. My glasses don't have human feelings. That's called personification. If you give a concept or an inanimate object, human traits, okay? Personification. This is really fun because throughout Proverbs, uh, the author takes this concept of wisdom and folly, foolishness, right? And makes them both ladies, like different people. And they speak and they have personalities to them. So we're going to talk about lady wisdom in the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs 1, verses 20 to 23. This is lady wisdom speaking. Out in the open, wisdom calls out. She raises her voice in the public square. At the top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gates, she makes her speech. In other words, this is for all to hear. She's not a hidden figure. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke, then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teaching. She is available for anyone who wants to find her, Lady Wisdom is. 8.17, Proverbs 8.17, she says, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. Another prophet, Jeremiah, would record God saying this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Do you hear a same promise? Lady wisdom is the very reflection of God's own wisdom. She's even referred to in Proverbs as a tree of life. We're meant to hear that Genesis whisper, that Genesis echo. And she says, you know who knows good versus evil? I was there at the beginning. I was there at that story with creator God. She says this, the Lord brought me forth as the first of his works before his deeds of old. I was formed long ages ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. She is a reflection of God's very wisdom and she, wisdom, is to be pursued. I love in chapter four, some of the words used says to love her, cherish her, embrace her, seek after wisdom. She longs to be found by you. And this is where I cheat a little bit in our ancient scrolls series. And I jump to the New Testament for a hot second to say this. What do we additionally learn through the New Testament about this idea of seeking after wisdom? 
For those of us who follow Jesus as Lord, we've already been promised that we have this advocate. It's better for you, Jesus said, that I leave you because the advocate will come. That's the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Scripture tells us time and time again. And so what we learn now about wisdom through some of these New Testament uh, followers of Jesus who were living this out in the early church in real time, what did they say? James in 3.17, God alone is the source of the wisdom from above. That means God is the one who is holy and perfectly right on what is good and what is evil. That wisdom is the perfect and perfect wisdom, and that comes from above. So from James uh, chapter 3, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And James also says, if anyone lacks such wisdom, they should ask and it will be given. You guys, that's a crazy promise because that's not a pithy saying. That's not an apple a day will keep the doctor away. That's actually like a, no, no, now I'm telling you it will come to pass that if you lack it, and you ask for it, it's a guarantee. The Holy Spirit of God who lives in you longs to lead you in God's wisdom. Ask and it will be given. One starting in verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave in the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I want to give an observation about that last part because sometimes, I don't know about you, but if you've ever heard that verse and you're like, I want to ask for God's wisdom and then I'm not sure if I'm getting it and then I kind of doubt and then I'm like, wait, does that make me double? Am I uncertain in all I do? Because I'm not sure if this is the wisdom of God. That's not, it's not shaming doubt. I want us to be a place where we understand that faith and doubt actually can coexist and we can be okay and we're here for each other in the moments that you're like, I'm not sure if this is working out for me. Okay. So what does that mean then? What that means is if I go and take this promise to God and say, I need your wisdom and God grants me that wisdom and says, Melissa, this is the path through circumstances, through confirmation and prayer, through other ways. I find out this is the path. And then I look and I'm like, oh, that doesn't look all that much fun, God. And I said, oh, that's, I like that path looks a little easier. So if you're receiving this wisdom and you are doubting that that's really the best way to go and you don't go that way that's what this is talking about then you're double-minded you know you're you know to go one way and so you like act one way but you're really going another that's the double-mindedness that says that you should not respect to receive anything because you're double-minded and unstable in all that you do I've received the wisdom of the Lord and I'm like I like the shiny path better so that's what that is referring to and so it's um to so to live in godly wisdom if we read the book of James, which by the way is also chock full of some fun, pithy one-liners of wisdom bombs as well. It's another good one. Um, 
they're all good, sorry. Uh, so anyway, but some of the ways that you can see, James is telling us, like, what does this wisdom look like? And you might notice that the way of wisdom looks an awful lot like the personhood of Jesus, because Jesus demonstrated perfectly the wisdom of God, being fully God and fully human. So we know that living in godly wisdom is to live a way of life that reflects the very character of God. The wisdom of God reflects the character of God. What else do we know about the character of God? Well, think of Micah 6.8, right? Doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly with God in whose image we are made. This is what wisdom might look like. And I'm going to wrap up just with a thought for you that I I want us to think about. When we're entering into the next, we're going to be in Proverbs for four weeks total, three more after this. And I encourage you, be reading the book of Proverbs. It's, it's, a, it, it's a very readable book. You can get through it in the course of these couple of weeks that will be in it. Actually, some people choose to do Proverbs. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. They'll take a month and do like one a day and get through the whole thing quickly. Just a thought if you want to. I won't, I won't make you check a box if you did that or not. But if you want to engage with the book of Proverbs, I want you to be thinking of this concept of seeking after lady wisdom with an understanding of the fear of the Lord and an acknowledgement that our own st- understanding is not what we should lean on, but to instead to pursue after wisdom that comes from God, knowing we are us and God is God, right? And the reason I want to point this out to you as we head into this is that in our culture now, we are known in the sociology world as being a relevance culture in this day and age. I'm not saying the humans in this room. I mean, as a broad sweep, Americans in 2023 are known as being relevance culture. If you look back to many ancient cultures, they would be what's called sage cultures. They were cultures that would honor the act of aging and the wisdom that came along with that. They were pursuing after sage wisdom and great grandma was held with great reverence and you would be quiet and listen to her. And so this is what other cultures were. So now, why do I bring this up? If we live in a relevance culture, I want us to just consider what that means when we're thinking about having a fear of the Lord not leaning on our own understanding and seeking after wisdom. When much of our time and technology is being fed and informed by algorithms, not by wisdom sage culture. You are being fed content. I am being fed content, advertisements, everything based on a relevance culture. And you're being fed by algorithms. No shame in that. Socials are fun. I love to see the posts. I'm not shaming socials. I am just saying, guys, be aware. What is feeding your content? You need to be, I need to be aware of this because here's what I would say. Let's not be passive participants in our own information formation. If we want to be pursuers of lady wisdom, we can still look through all that stuff, but with sober-minded awareness of how it is that we are being fed. And when we live in a relevance culture, the algorithms are being fed by the one who has the biggest platform, the most money, and the most likes, not the person who has actual sage wisdom from experience or anything else. Some of them may have both, but a lot of them don't. And so what I want us to consider is 
What does it look like for us to just be aware so that we can say, I want to pursue wisdom on my own and in community that's godly wisdom. In the coming weeks, we're going to talk about some things. I want you to think about the algorithms of whatever you last scrolled, whatever this last moment was, whether it was TikTok or Twitter or Facebook or anything, and you were looking at my news feeds, anything. I want you to think the three topics we're going to go over, anger, conflict, and use of our words. We're going to talk about what Proverbs says about having godly wisdom in those topics and just be aware of how your algorithms are feeding you what anger looks like, how to use your words, what to do in conflict, and just be aware that you do not need to be a passive participant in the content you're receiving in your own formation. So I want to leave us with that. And as we pursue Lady Wisdom over the next few weeks, I'm just going to pray over us, Father God, that you would help us to be aware, open our eyes to the places where we've allowed uh, relevance and platform to maybe outdo sage wisdom and the experience of those who have walked before us, including kings, Solomon, including our Lord Jesus, including the early church experience, and including grandma and grandpa who have been following the way of Jesus perhaps longer than us. So God, help us to be mindful of how we are being formed, and may we be formed first and foremost by you, Holy Spirit, as you work not only through scripture, but also through community and through our own time in prayer with you, God. May we become active participants with your spirit so that we can be formed in a way that reflects your godly wisdom in all that we do and say in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.